0: Welcome to Steelcast, Tata Steel UK's podcast about all things related to steel, our processes, our products, our customers, our people and our communities. My name is Tim Rutter and in this latest series I'm talking to industry experts about climate change, sustainability and decarbonisation. We've already heard from a number of Tata Steel experts about the fundamentals of climate change, the current challenges around carbon and the demands of society both for steel and for zero carbon ways of making it. We've heard about the needs of our customers, as well as some of the technology options that are open to the steel industry and some of the infrastructure that might be needed to go with them. Now, of the many things that listeners may have concluded from discussions in previous episodes, one thing is abundantly clear. The answer to all the decarbonisation riddles will only come from a collegiate approach to problem solving. So that means government, it means industry, The wider society, research bodies and academia. So what better time to bring in some of the finest brains in the country to talk about the role of the company's in-house research community and one of Tata Steel's closest academic partners. It's an absolute pleasure therefore to welcome to the pod today recently appointed Director of Research and Development for Tata Steel UK, Sumitesh Das and Professor Dave Worsley who's Head of Materials Science and Engineering at Swansea University, whose university biog is about as inspirational as any as I've ever seen it says Dave has a vision to change the world and I'm sure we'll come on to that shortly so Dave Sumitesh a very warm welcome to the podcast today.
1: Thank you thank you Tim. Yeah
2: thank you and I'm I'm hoping by that uh, change the world that we're actually going to change it in a good way not a bad way just pointing <laughs> that out no, cause obviously there's, there's good and bad ways to solve that and I'm I'm, I'm sure hopefully this will come through today that we're we're all about positive uh, movement
0: i would expect no different from you dave so yeah. sumitesh maybe i could come to you first now listen people won't know very much outside the organization especially about um tata steel's own research development innovation program and the and the role of our uh, uh, partnerships with universities could you outline kind of how we're set up
1: yeah so i must admit that uh, tata steel in europe uh, have been quite proactive in addressing this whole issue of net zero and decarbonization. If you look back like almost almost four years ago, Tata Steel actually helped curate this sustain project. So Dave was a part of that as well, along with other, st- other steel companies. And today, if you look back, what have we achieved? We achieved a lot. And it addresses many, many aspects of the steel industry, uh, including productivity, product diversity, and the environmental performance on the entire steel supply chain in the UK. So it's a, it was a cradle-to-cradle approach even before decarb became the buzzword and net zero became the buzzword and so on. Now, what has been achieved in sustain, if you see, is that the best brains in Swansea, Warwick and Sheffield have come together. And what was started almost four years ago, and research, you know, is a long-term affair and decarbonization, people who have been at in it would know that it actually take it takes decades to bring something that people observe in the lab all the way to a prototype to a commercial pilot and finally at at where the industry loves the baby to be there right and today as we stand we are looking at what what i call it as a feasibility check on many of these little buds which have come out in this last four years The interesting bit what Tata Steel also did was that our research team is co-located. So when you mention of a collegiate kind of approach, this was already taken by the founders, if you you may say, of the Tata Steel Europe, R&D and technology, um, the gurus in that business, if you may say. So we are uh, co-located with Swansea and Warwick. And what that means is we have got a very close relationship with SAMI, which is the Steel and Metals Institute. And what that does in turn is work with great guys like Dave, with Ian and his his entire fantastic team. And what you get out of these people are those wonderful innovative ideas. And I must admit is the future technology leaders because one of the main things about Tata Steel UK R&D is to create the future talent pipeline to address the challenges that we face. And I must broaden this discussion a little bit That we also work with university of south wales and also with cardiff in fact coincidentally i was at university of south wales looking at my some microbes yesterday with (laughs) professor sandra Um, and and it was interesting because she was and uh, you you covered this in one of your earlier podcasts in which you had this little kit which was looking at taking co2 from the off gases and converting it into acetic acid and i was looking at not only acetic acid yesterday in her lab but a plethora of things that can come out i mean you could take carbon you could take hydrogen get ammonia out of it get the whole series of organic acids and then convert these products and Dave would know he's a chemist himself into fast- fantastic products for our uh you know for our downstream activities you know and finally you know it, the the academicians can only do their part, so we can't blame them to run the entire supply chain. So we have fantastic guys in our environment team, like we have Peter Quinn. I think he was also covered in your earlier one of yep. your earlier podcasts. We have guys like Richie also whom you covered from the heavy and technical team. So I think we have got all the, what i got to say, foundation work done. It's a great challenge, but it's also a fantastic opportunity for, you know, the combined, what I would say, the academia, industry and also the startup ecosystem. I keep on emphasizing this very much that you need that MSME sector to 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 build up. So maybe I've gone on for a little longer. No, no, I no, think I could give you a perspective of where we stand. It's a really good
0: uh, overview Sumitesh and it's interesting isn't it because I think you know you don't go back, back maybe too far and people might imagine that a company like Tata Steel's research and development facility would be looking at yeah, metallurgy and crystallography and new products and, and and crash performance and so forth. But now, from what you're saying, there's a there's a there's almost an industry grown up about saying how can we reduce our emissions and reduce our impact on the environment and what what are the alternative with waste products and so forth. So, so that's really interesting how your field within the industry has moved forward. But I'd like to pick up something else you said there about the people because. I think we touched on it in a, bre- in a previous podcast. There is something about industries such as Tata Steel being a breeding ground for people in partnership with universities and teams like Dave's to develop uh, the sort of people who can look into these problems. How important is that about developing that a group of
1: people for, for, for UK PLC, if you like? So, uh, Tim, if you look at the, ethos of tata it has always been about people and more so if not in the past we have to create future technology leaders you know to create a business which is for the short term it's very easy you can look at a pnl statement and get away with it but if you look at the tata principles you're talking of sustainability you're talking of communities you're talking of taking the community along for creating the business of the future right And this is where, from our little role in the technology domain, I feel that there are many, many programs. But what I feel excited about the is about the CDT program, which is launched by the what is called the M2A coated CDT program, which does this ngd I think Dave can give a little more deep dive on that that part. But I feel that that is a very, very unique uh, enabler to develop people with that mindset to discover and to innovate new things, especially in the strategic areas, not only for today's business, but also for the future. So I think if if we are able to do it well, then we, uh, I think to, to the best of our knowledge, we have over the last many years, we have almost like 50 to 70 people who have come on and some of them have stayed, but some of them have moved on. But yeah. it is the mindset to create a sustainable, future looking business proposition with the community so I think yeah. I'll hand it over to Dave because I think he can yeah. uh, give more insight into the NGD program and so on. yeah
0: because it's a good time to bring you in Dave because you know your area of expertise in the university in the world of academia would really struggle wouldn't it without real life industries for your people to get involved in and real life projects to test out some of their work on so that partnership must be absolutely critical for universities like yours
2: yeah, I mean, I think uh, you know our, our university, as, as does our, our our friends in Warwick. Um, you know, we we provide a critical interface between uh, the industrial partners and uh, the wider uh, uh, ecosystem of uh, researchers and innovators. Um, and I think um, the people piece—I'll start with that—is uh, absolutely critical. I think the. The role that we've had, uh, and it's going to be our 30th year of running the EngDoc program uh, this year, in 1992 it started, and I've been involved with it since 94, which, uh, you know, those listeners who thought I was a young person when now realize I'm actually quite decrepit. Uh, but the the exciting thing about that is that so many of the innovators that are in our teams, both in the university sector and in industry, have actually come through that uh, route for training and and they learned their research skills, um, you know, together, and they still work together as a community now uh, in, in their workplace. Uh, and I think that uh, that element of the uh, industrial engagement is really, really attractive to uh, a range of uh, of researchers. People like myself, you know, I've always worked uh, with industry partners and I did my Ph.D. with, with uh ICI when it existed, and then uh, a postdoc with uh, Johnson Mathie, and then, you know, uh, I suddenly discovered, uh, you know, steel uh, years after I should have discovered it, because I'm actually from West Wales uh, originally, (laughs) but uh, suddenly I got really excited about it, and we've created, I think, an extremely uh, vibrant ecosystem that has this industrial, um, academic, uh, and a real practical delivery system. It's really great to hear hear Sumitesh talking about our friends in, in South Wales University, because equally, you know, uh, a lot of times people are working on their own. Uh, and what we try to do is create these kind of communities of groupings working together. And certainly as we move forward, uh, we're looking at how the best of our practical delivery vehicles in, in the Welsh universities can link together uh, uh, and hook out into their counterparts worldwide to pull in ideas uh, so that we can accelerate our our transitionary process. And I think one of the things that's really, really exciting about the steel industry, and people don't necessarily think about it in this way, is it is always very innovative. You know, the, the number of steel grades that exist now that didn't exist 20 years ago, something like 75% of the steel grades didn't exist. You know, that's, that's, that's innovation because it's actually turning someone's idea into a thing and actually you know in in key areas like uh, automotive and construction and packaging you know those are absolutely underpinned by steel products uh, and um in in other work that we're, we're we're looking at in the net zero transition you you have all of the opportunities then that that Sumitesh mentioned about converting you know some some problem into a solution, right? And, and the work that South Wales are doing to make uh, chemical precursors from from carbon dioxide, it's amazing and brilliant and very, very practical and very, very doable. And, and in the same way, we can look at things like uh, heat energy from the from the works. Uh, and we're doing projects both in in Portal but Shotton, and Trostra on this to recover uh, heat energy. So that you can use it to heat your building because actually yeah. you know if you've already made the heat why would you bother getting some more gas from uh you know various sources uh you know to make uh, make heat in your in your building why not use the heat that's there and, and and just as a as an illustrator for people who are listening uh the port talbot works um produces enough heat that we could uh we could heat about five hundred thousand properties homes yeah and that, mm. that's that's huge. I mean, there's only 200,000, 240,000 people live in sort of Swansea, Neathport, Albert area. So it's yeah. really, really significant. Um, and it's integrating all those ideas into a whole system that then produces our you know, net zero society uh, and maintains steel production, and grows it into new areas, keeping all the high value jobs. But also giving a real value back to the community in terms of not having to rely on gas for example for heating your heating your home
0: yeah and whilst you know the main thread of this podcast series is about a bit being about decarbonizing the steel industry people might think of the big technology changes that might be required to do so there's a huge amount more than that as you've just been explaining there and i'm sure the solutions to some of those are not quite as straightforward as 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 plugging a pipe into the steelworks at one end and into your house at the other, and but that's what you know. You guys on both sides of the fence are are here to help us with. The interesting thing I was thinking when Sumitesh was talking about that huge range of universities that we partner up with, and I guess this is for, for both of you. Some people might say, well, you know, aren't Tata Steel outsourcing their R and D to universities? You know, what is that relationship? What what do each party bring to the to the game uh, from the academic side and and, and in house? How does that but, work together
1: so you, you want me to go first dave
2: uh, yeah that's fine yeah. I, i've got some very strong views as you know, so <laughs> you know I'll
1: okay listen, listen to so, yours and i'll say mine
2: and i think right. they're
1: all okay so so tim what happens is that uh, we operate uh, what is called as a product or a process pipeline so so you you think of a product and you say or, or, or a process and you say well how much time is it going to you know take to go to the end point so sometimes in what you do inside R&D would be something which are which is called at a high TRL level, that is, which is quite close to implementation. At the same time, uh, people have are bubbling with ideas. So both at the academic side and so on. So what we do is we we co-create the program. So co-creation of the research and technology program is very important. So what we do is we don't we don't look at this as a outsourcing or insourcing. But what we see is we are all partners and co-creators of that program. So, for example, I would just go back to, say, the, uh, the the issue of capturing CO2 and converting into acetic acid. So there is one program which underwent at the University of South Wales. So from there, it, it migrated into a pilot scale. And today we are trying to think how to make it even bigger to take it to a demonstration scale if you look at something like for example the uh, the waste to wealth kind of a thing so we have got sludges we've got slimes uh, like what dave mentioned about this heat capturing uh, magic formula right so if you want to take it to the next level the the researchers and the technologists in the plant need to understand what is the magic formula right mm. and then work out the techno commercial part of the issue along with the, with, the, with the correct business and then put it in. So it is a kind of pass on the baton from a lower TRL level, which is like you would say one to three, one to four. And then you have the valley of death where you are actually working with different uh, partners, trying to reduce the risk, but at the same time get the investment. And then you come to the big industries like Tata's who we say, well, now it has caused the valley of death and the baby is now ready to be nurtured and taking forward so i think it's a pipeline that we look look for yeah. and the the the, the moment what helps is that when you have this guy who has gone through the ngd program that person knows this pipeline so when regardless of whether the person works with us or is a full time professor the mm-hmm. person knows both sides of the coin and and what i've seen in most of the emerging economies and developed economies is that success only comes when you are working together hand in hand you may you may discuss disagree professionally on many many fronts but i think progress is only made in that way yeah interesting
2: yeah i would wholeheartedly support that and i think one of the things that um you know there is an impression sometimes that um that that you know people are devolving the research responsibility into the university and and that's not it at all and i think you know tata's um uh sort of community-based vision is absolutely critical there because uh it's the embedding of uh, Tata researchers within university structures um and uh, it it is providing that continuum of uh, TRL development um which is very exciting to the kind of researchers that we have in our programs right they they actually don't want to you know, just leave a load of papers in the uh, library shelf that no one ever reads. Mm. You know, they'd like to see their idea taken through and actually used. And I think in the net zero uh, case, um, you know, now we have to almost shrink down that um, TRL development phase and almost do it contiguously. So, you know, everything at the same time. Mm. Uh, And I think because of the way that Tata's invested in Uh, co-created R&D and innovation activities over the years. We've got an enormous opportunity to do that here because we've already got people that understand everybody else's language set and things. And And I think again, the NGD program has been a a major force in in creating that community, um, as have some of the uh, other UK and Welsh government funded innovation activities that have enabled us to uh, you know, put a, a a few tents up in the Valley of Death, uh, which have got sandwiches and uh, uh, and and, uh, and and sustenance in them yeah. to uh, you know to enable things to get out the other side as as new products.
0: And for those listeners who who, who may not be quite aware of it, very briefly describe that engineering doctorate scheme, the EngD or EngDoc you you refer to. How does that scheme work? Very briefly.
2: Well, uh, you know, um, a normal uh, Ph.D. like what I did back in the 18th century is, uh, you know, uh, uh, a person is sent off into the research uh, laboratory. Uh, They're locked in for about three years. uh, And after three years, they're expected to magically come out with a book that looks a bit like a a thesis uh, with some brilliant ideas in and uh, hardcore science. Now, what what uh, in the mid-90s, early 90s, there was a review of higher education, uh, and what was realized is that people like me weren't necessarily the ideal employees to work in industry. So um, the EngDoc scheme was created so that the research excellence is still there, the, the, the thesis is still there, the giant book, but the, the academic staff and industrial staff work together to create a, a challenging project for a researcher mm-hmm. to do, Uh, And that there is a a sort of catch at the end of it where good ideas then actually transmit themselves either through into industry. uh, And there's a vehicle for those researchers to either go and work in industry or indeed uh, set up their own research groups within uh, the university structure. And I don't just mean in Swansea, but across uh, across the world now um, and continue to work in that kind of focused area where they're, where they're considering, you know, the application side as well as the the fundamental science, and yes. I think something else that we did um, and and still do is 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 mixing it up a bit so that there's uh, there's training elements involved in the in the program, uh, and that some of which is is to address skills shortfalls in areas like metallurgy and materials where there just aren't enough of these mm. people. So you know we convert chemists like myself into someone you know, into people that understand what a grain boundary is. Uh, but also, then there are other areas of how we need to improve people's business acumen, um, so that they're thinking about material supply chains and resources. You know, so much of the research work that occurs in the world doesn't even consider that. You know, so yeah. you have some say, new solar device, and it's got fifty-seven thousand layers in it, of it which <laughs> has got you know uh, all the rare earth elements that exist. You know. Mm and it might be the most efficient thing in the world, but there's no way you could ever make it yeah, um, yeah. because it has all the wrong ingredients in it. So yeah. the thinking that goes into these doctorates creates a different kind of person. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the final element about why that scheme has been important is that actually we realized, of course, that within the industry itself, there's huge talent, right? Uh, and a lot of people you know, on the manufacturing floor, very, very intelligent, very, very knowledgeable, they might not have necessarily done that well, you know, in in the traditional school environment. So what we've done is taken a lot of the training that we did at doctoral level, and then we've uh, zoomed that down, all the same facts, to mm. provide uh, a, a skills escalation activity to help anyone basically yes. uh, move through and 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 better their research um, career prospects by. Uh, by enabling to, them to be educated. And I think this this year is the first doctorate graduate we've got on our podium in the summer who who came to the university from uh, Port Albert with no qualifications, right? Wow. As in, like no qualifications, but they were clearly a bright individual and we were able to, you know, help them get some initial credits via work-based learning uh, then they did a part-time degree. Then they've done a PhD, and they've gone back into into the industry now. You know, with a with a substantially more responsible and exciting job, and yeah. uh, uh, you know, a better salary. So yeah. this is how we do it. And I, th- I think because we've got that richness of the relationship, if something's not right, that's also key. And uh, and and our colleagues from industry will equally tell us that we're wrong and we need to do something in a slightly different way yeah. uh, and and our relationship is so mature that we can do that in all directions and I think yeah. that's absolutely required now as we address this very difficult issue of, uh, of, of net zero and, and start trying to think of it as an opportunity rather than a threat.
0: Yeah, definitely, and it's a and it's a great juncture to to move on to the decarbonisation piece. But uh, you know, certainly for an outsider looking in, when I look at the relationship between our company and and universities, I, I always get a tremendously positive experience from both sides. Uh, People want to be involved from the universities. People want to be involved from our industry and the stories you're telling Dave uh, Just reinforce that and it's good to hear a bit more about the EngDoc scheme So um, if anyone listening wants to get involved in it, they know how to get in touch But listen Sumitesh, if I could move on a bit more to the role of research in our decarbonisation challenge or opportunity as Dave rightly calls it Um, and without giving away any trade secrets what are the sort of projects uh, that your team alongside the university are working on to support us on that journey to decarbonization
1: yeah so tim uh, you know so when you look at decarbonization or sustainability or circular economy net zero these have become like big buzzwords right yeah so so it takes a bit of time to actually deep dive and then carve out themes which can relate to the business of today as well as to the business of future so that you are relevant on 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 the time scale and that is what we have been doing along with uh, Swansea, along with Warwick, uh, with Sheffield, and now moving on also to University of South Wales, a bit, a bit at Cardiff, and also with Imperial. Broadly, if I may say, without going into the details, uh, the first uh, vertical, if I may say, is waste to wealth. So we have got a lot of waste streams, like you've got CO2, you've got a CO, you've got sludge, slimes, you name it. I mean, yeah. the whole steel plant is a, is a minefield where you can go and start mining. But what do you mine and how do you mine is the challenge, or you can say is the opportunity. So if I look at it, the waste to wealth is one stream where we have made some progress under which vertical is your CO2 to acetic acid, CO2 to fuel, sludge to or slimes to products and so on. So that's one vertical. The second vertical is the steel industry uses a lot of packaging material. So you've got, we buy material which are packed, we send material which are also packed. And if you look at all this packaging material, many of them cannot be recycled. So one of the themes that we are trying to work on is something called the zero waste packaging. And so so that means we try to work with using biofilms, You try to do advanced coatings, which can be, uh, you know, which can be put to, to, to earth at the end of the life cycle. And then it can, you know, you have bacteria or microbes eating them up and so on. So that's the second one. The third one, as Dave mentioned, energy is a big, big showstopper, and it is going to become critical as we go ahead. So how do we bring down the energy consumption, you know, at different points in the production life cycle. This may not look like a big blockbuster, but believe me, this has got so many plots underneath that if you add all of them up, you know, it's, it's a big blockbuster if you can get it right. And that is where I see, you know, a lot of these little innovations happening around the little labs. And my challenge, you know, is how to bring these diff- different actors together so that you can have a great Shakespearean play so so the difficulty is to bring all these minds together to give what i always keep on saying is you know the the mantra is the three c's first c is to connect up so i connect with dave and and so on and so forth the second c is collaborate and the third c is commercialize so if yeah. you can get all these three c's embedded in the actor's mind you can actually make that work so that was my third one on c the fourth one sorry third one on lower energy consumption the fourth one is renewables we are working with uh, specific on pv technologies to see if we can charge cars the the hydrogen economy and and fuel cells and so on fantastic work going on in the Bagland park with the serc team over there and so on the last one but not the least is the product life cycle management and this is where i think the the next generation who are more digitally savvy, they can actually create the DFMA tools, as they say, the digital interventions, which can actually educate the society. that Do you need to extend the life of that product? Can you recycle it? Can you repurpose it? Can you reuse it? So we as R&D folks can only go a certain bit, like as technologists, but there is a big societal connect that can be driven by the digital interventions. You know, how do you say that, look, you recycle it in this way or somebody says, well, don't recycle it this year. You can recycle it next year because there is still life in that product and so on. So these were my five, uh, five things, how I devolute or deconvolute the, you know, the big band of decarbonization. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, there's more traditional
0: pieces in there. I know we've talked before on the podcast about increasing scrap ratios in the steel yeah, course, plant, which yeah. is more traditional stuff, but also has a massive impact. And, you know, the conversation we're having now is is really saying let's not get hung up on the big technology solution, although that would make a massive change, because there's a whole gamut of other things out there that are already working on that are much more holistic in terms of uh, the impact of the material on society and the opportunities. And that's you know it's really good to hear. Yeah, loved your three C's, Sumitash. There, and and it reminds me that that connect and collaborate piece, and and maybe this might be one for you, Dave. Because in recent years there had been a whole heap of organisations with acronyms that are too long to. So you mentioned sustain earlier, Sumitash. You mentioned specific. I know there's SWIC, there's switch, there's COACE. Dave, can you try and bring some clarity to this? this morass of of organisations that all seem to be doing, trying to do similar things.
2: Yeah, so one one of the things that we've worked up with with the Welsh Government support is that we're um, creating a sort of a net zero Wales uh, activity, and now I quite like the acronym because you can say now, right, and for those of us that have lived in Wales for long enough we'll realise that that means now, not now in a minute, right, (laughs) Um, because now in a minute is a kind of like a pause thing and we don't have time for that uh but within that you know we're, we're looking at a particular project on industrial uh transformation uh, which is called switch right and that will bring together some of the battalion projects that we've got in in swansea south wales and cardiff under one um collaborative umbrella working with key industrial partners tata being you know a principal partner but more widely across the cluster to include the the hydrogen activities down in in west wales uh, and then out into east wales where we've got the very exciting developments of the semiconductor industry all of those folks need to transition to a net zero way of operating and at the same time the interconnects are there between um, all of the people that work in those organizations and their communities. Which means that we need to address the um, heating and cooling of buildings and the uh, the transport issue. Uh, I mean, I think for the, for the Welsh government, key is 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 creating this just transition, and and I quite like the ter- term that they use, where no one is left behind, because I think of that both literally and metaphorically, you know, because actually, you know, uh, metaphorically you might leave communities behind, but if you're talking about public transport, you might literally leave someone behind if you haven't got it organized correctly. So I, th- I think there's this, uh, this is just a brilliant opportunity now to bring together a lot of different cogs from the machinery of what has been, in particular supported by the European Union over the last uh, decade and a half, probably, uh, and and uh, focus that attention into the net zero uh, opportunity and get the sensation from community interaction that we're actually bringing everyone with us right this isn't yeah. an elitist uh, approach where you know if you can afford to buy a tesla you can have an electric car and mm. uh, you know if you can't afford to buy one well there we are tough this is about bringing everyone along and and the steel industry is absolutely embedded in that because everything that we will need for the net zero uh, transition is either made of or by things that are, are steel based
0: yeah uh, but and i understand the role of the welsh government in pulling this together but but sumitesh you know we aren't a welsh company and i know put that's the biggest works and it's the one where it has integrated steel works and, and everything else but you know we are an international company even Tata steel uk we have yeah, you know, Surahammer in in Sweden uh, making uh, steels for electric uh, cars and so forth. You know how do we how do we make sure that we're not being too insular and saying because the Welsh government have put some structure and support around this, we'll concentrate on Wales when you know, we've got Hartlepool and Corby and Wensfield and 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 as I say, these overseas parts which all have a role to play, don't they? In lowering energy, decarbonizing, improving yields, and and being part of the solutions that we've been talking about today, whether it's in automotive or construction and so on. How do we make sure we don't get caught up in that Wales-only thing, Sumitesh?
1: So so as I pointed out, like uh, because we are located in uh, Port Talbot, so Swansea happens our first port of call, but it doesn't pre, pre, pre uh, or exclude us rather from working with different universities and different players in the ecosystem. So what we do is we have uh, strategically also outlined different universities where there are uh, what I would say expertise levels where uh, we we uh, sort of dip into as and when required so we we for example we run something at the royce institute we we have something at uh, uh, sheffield university we have something uh, also going on at warwick in a, in a big big way so what what i'm trying to impress here is that although we are based out of port albert but uh, the technology scanning is not only limited to to uk we are also as you know we are connected to uh, Tarasil uh, limited in india so th- with that we are also hooked up to other universities throughout uh throughout the world what that also does is that uh, it gives us a wholesome perspective on the technology maturity at different levels so if you're talking of f- for this post podcast as you're talking of decarbonization we are evaluating say maybe 10 to 15 technologies at different TRL levels, right? So you can say, well, some technology is good till a TRL of three, which means at lab scale, it is do- perfectly fine, but it's not able to go beyond lab scale. So somebody maybe standing at a uh, at a TRL of six, that means they have crossed the Valley of Death, but they have maybe crossed it for the paper industry. Maybe mm. they have not done it for a steel industry. And mm. that particular unit, maybe some, some university sitting somewhere in say uh, say, Germany so the beauty is that because the, the uk universities have traditionally worked very closely with european universities it gives us that linkage straight away so we don't ha- we, we are not working in isolation although it may appear that we are working in isolation but yeah. believe me every professor or every academician that we work with if you see the publication list it would have people from the whole of Europe, Europe, or even beyond, like like even the states and so on. yeah, so so, so that's why it's it's a kind of a wholesome approach that we uh, see, although it may not be uh, explicitly visible to many people, yeah,
2: yeah, if I might say as well, I think the the internationalization element is how we make something unexpected happen, uh, you know, because if we only talk to the same people that we've always talked to, we'll get the same solutions that we've always thought we were going to get right and and i think one of the exciting things about the work with Tata steel in solar-powered buildings and so on has been that we've um had a a global partnership um with eight of the main indian uh, research institutes oxford cambridge and imperial uh in the uk and um that spun out into activities in other uh, developing economies, like Mexico, uh, and across into Eastern Europe, with with some work in Kazakhstan. Uh, and 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 the key thing is that these sparks and interrelationships happen because of the people who were involved, right? Because actually, you know, it's the network of people that are connected. You know, didn't suddenly start working in. Uh, in Mexico, because uh, someone wanted a trip to to, to Cancun, yeah. uh, it was it, it was that there was a group there that were working on something particularly interesting and in, around screen printing. We thought, well, you know, that's that's a you know uh, a, a bright set of people. Let's let's connect up with them. And I think the really exciting thing about working with Tata as a group is that is that they are a global group, uh, and therefore one can have the idea that innovation and training and things that we're doing in in the uk could actually have an impact globally and i think you know when i think about net zero and decarbonization um in reality the globe probably doesn't really ma- bother now whether britain decarbonizes entirely or not mm. because the big emitters in the future are going to be not britain right mm. so yeah. uh, you know what's really exciting for the future of the planet is what we do here now in a, in our uk uh, operations and european operations if we get it right you know when india wants to transition its steel industry over uh, recognizing that a lot of the steel works are newer than ours you mm-hmm. know they, they they can take all of the learning points and we can have a Uh, a global impact from the work that's gone on, which ultimately is what we need for our future generations, because, you know, uh, they are still going to be in a global economy and, and climate change is not something that affects only one country.
0: No, it's fascinating the discussion we've been having today about you know how the focus from your perspectives especially is very much on that that holistic nature and you know we talked in previous podcasts about steel being part of the solution and I think uh, one of our guests said you know if we didn't have steel we'd have to invent it in order for the world to become net zero and decarbonize and I know it's um, we are going to get on briefly uh, in a moment to the steel making technologies because I think there's some big questions that hopefully you guys will help help to answer. But in that sort of global holistic perspective, Dave, Dave it's good timing because you've just won an award, I think, a, a Queen's Industry Award. Yeah, uh, Queen's,
2: yes, and it's the, you know, it's it, 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 we we did get one in 1998 uh, working with, as it was then, British Steel. Um, and that was for sort of training and skills linked to the EngDoc program that we've mentioned. But this one I'm very uh, excited about because it's actually in recognition for the work that Tata and the universities have done collaboratively in, in new kinds of solar energy product and the concept of a building as a power station. So, you know, uh, traditionally, the more buildings that we make, uh, the more power stations we have to make. Um, But because of the way that we can integrate uh, technology, particularly into steel and glass intensive buildings, um, you can have a situation where the more buildings you make, the less power stations you need. And I think, you know, at the current time, that's probably you know something that we (laughs) we all need to do a lot more of
0: yeah and certainly Uh, it's not uh, just the but it's not just the technology and and the impact on climate change Dave one of the most exciting things I think about this is the opportunity to bring people out of fuel poverty
2: yes yeah and and so you know in in the work that was recognized obviously um in in the UK we've worked with Tata on some um social housing projects with with third parties like Daiwa House and and uh, produced uh, you know, housing for um, people who would traditionally be in fuel poverty who are now not going to be in fuel poverty because those, those houses are energy positive. But across the world, uh, literally as we speak, uh, two hours north of Mumbai, uh, some of Sumatesh's colleagues from Nestin, another Tata business, with Tata Cleantech uh, Capital, are putting together a, a version of our active classroom um, which is uh, sourced by local supply chains in in India, with the exception of the the photovoltaic roofing, which has come from from our friends in South Wales. Right, so y- this sort of thing can really change lives uh, because you're bringing you know energy to communities potentially who either, in our case in the UK, can't afford it, or in some cases in in, in rural uh, parts of the world which have no grid connection. Yeah. Um, you know, there are only other choices to use sort of diesel generation and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and in so many of those parts of the world, they have really good uh, better than we have four g, just just saying. Uh, <laughs> but but you know they have to charge their uh, communication devices up using you know uh, diesel generation. and that's that's right. nuts, particularly yeah. when uh, you know in those parts of the world, uh, the sunshine levels are probably three times what we
0: have in in sunny south wales yeah yeah and it is a great story and it's another example of steel being part of the solution and I'm very conscious of time because uh, there's a couple of other things I want to pick up on and one I promised to come back to was this technology change and I know certainly within the steel industry there's a big debate about you know is it blast furnaces is, is it high now? is it electric arc furnace it, 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 you know, we're going to go down a dr right direct reduced iron route but Sumatesh, i wonder if i can come on to you about uh, about that and there's a few questions that that people will be asking and i'm sure there's a role for r d in in moving this forward people say that if we move to an electric arc furnace technology that there's certain grades that we wouldn't be able to make for some automotive or packaging have uh, been mentioned uh, products now, a is that true, and and b, what work is going on in the background to, to work with that technology of electric arcs that may mean that those products are available in the future.
1: Yeah, so Tim, uh, as an R&D person, uh, just like the doctors, you'd never say die, right? Yeah. So I I would never say that it is not possible. So it is the it is the very act of something not being possible that drives R&D and drives technology i guess i guess that is something if we are not subscribed onto that then we are not r d folks let's put it this way (laughs) so let's look at what is the state of the art so the state of the art says that if you have got a route which is scrap based and the ef based then two verticals are difficult to achieve or challenges and one of them is the high-end what you call the exterior nice and cool looking automotive full great. finish yeah a full finish grid and the other one is the two piece cans where you can actually literally draw the cans like a beer can and so on and these have been the challenges uh, for for many many of the uh, steel makers but what is the shift we suddenly see that everyone has to decarbonize in one way or the other and what that is leading to is people are now putting triple amount of effort to find out solutions so I wouldn't be surprised if there is a solution in the next five years. And you can put you can build the same stuff that used to used to do it on a traditional caster and a traditional blast furnace route. Now, why am I optimistic on this? Look at the rate at which the electric vehicles have gathered speed. And and I can tell you of my own little experience in India. Everybody used to say, well, you know, uh, the, the 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 batteries are not going to come, it's not going to shake up, it's too slow, the government is too slow, and and so on. If you look at a city like Pune, the electric vehicles have come into Pune, they have built up an infrastructure for charging, and, and you can see this rate of change is mind-boggling. And I'm sure the same thing is going to happen in this scrap and EF route as well. Similarly about autonomous vehicles and all. So we have to be in it, otherwise the rate at ch- rate of change is going to exceed us, and we are going to be left napping. So I would not be so much uh, <clears throat> bothered about saying what is there in the past with these technologies. I feel these are opportunities in which we can look into building up the next set, whatever the, the route of processing is. And that has always been the history of iron and steel. right? every 10 years, every 15 years, there has been some challenge, whether it is environment, whether it is products, uh, whether it is alternate materials and steel has somehow managed to come back. Right. Yeah. So I'm yeah, sure exactly. I'm sure it will. Uh, although these are looking as challenges, but I see these as opportunities. And if we can do that, I think uh, Tata Steel in UK and UK, particularly the, the, the research fraternity in UK would be the first to achieve that milestone and, and everyone is in the race. Everyone. So, so we bit, class- better be at it. Yeah. It's, a, it's a classic
0: case of the squeaky wheel gets the oil, isn't it? And that's yeah. a really interesting perspective about saying so if that's the issue, then people are going to throw their uh, their resources at it.
2: Yeah. And, and I think just to add to that, I think, you know, a, a key thing that you said at the beginning, uh, you know, this is, the difference is about innovation versus iteration, right? And, and and um, you know, uh, as Sumitesh rightly points out, if we believed that technological problems were insoluble, we would be not, scientists and engineers and researchers um you know we'd be wood whittlers or something like that i don't know but you know the reality is though that we've got this huge collection of uh, brain power across the world uh, it, it, as a human race we can put you know people into space you know we can make uh, a television that you can roll up i don't know why but you can um <laughs> but there are simple things that we we can't do uh, one one of which would be you know the uh, removal of tramp elements, as uh, as it were, uh, but there's got to be a solution there. Uh, another one, which uh, you know, is a pet project of uh, of ours, which I'm sure we're going to get a bit of momentum in. Is well, you know, one of the things we need to do is reduce the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere. So why can't we do why can't we do photosynthesis, but better than nature can, right? Mm. And and it's got to be possible because a green plant is only you know three or four percent efficient as a solar cell. Uh, and yet the solar cells that you make to put on a building are, are 25 to 30% efficient. OK, so it's a different sort of science area. But for me, that sort of thing where you actually then, uh, I think Dale Vince calls it sky mining. And I quite like the idea of that. You're mm. actually pulling pulling carbon out of the sky and then making it into into something that you need. And that that complements the work that the teams in South Wales are doing about converting CO2 using algae and things like that. But it takes it to another level because it could be that then you have in, in sunny parts of the world, of which India is one, um, you know, a giant uh, plant that's actually chemical plant as opposed to uh, biological, mm. pulling, pulling CO2 out using the sun's energy. There's loads of things that we can do. We just need to invest in it in the right mm. way. And I think uh, the Tata group is, is absolutely well positioned to help us do that in the U.K., um uh, to deliver net zero
0: yeah listen it's a fascinating discussion i know i've taken up more time than uh, than it probably deserve or planned uh, today so i'm very very grateful for you spending Time with us, sharing your knowledge, your expertise, and your thoughts—just some fascinating stuff on here. I'm, I'm sure we could have gone on for hours, and maybe we'll come back in future episodes to uh, to pick your brains a bit more as the as the topic develops. But uh, for the time being, uh, Dave and Sumitesh, thanks very much indeed for joining us. Thanks,
1: Thank Jim. You. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you. Yeah,
2: fabulous, and uh, we will we'll, we'll hit this net zero thing, um, and and it's going to be awesome. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> Excellent. So while this series of podcasts has understandably focused on the challenges of decarbonizing the steel industry, today's discussion reaches much much further. What we've talked about today is not only the decarbonization of the production and use of an essential material, don't forget Paul Wheeler reminded us that steel is the most essential material in future green technologies, but the role that steel has in the decarbonization of our society. And even maybe wider than that, with projects such as social housing, bringing large swathes of the world out of energy poverty, as Dave described today. When you look at all the examples we've talked about today, you'd surely conclude that collaboration of industry and academia is absolutely fundamental to solving the problem of decarbonisation. The role of governments in creating the right legislative frameworks and financial environment that act as catalysts for such activities can be no less important. But that's a topic for another time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Steelcast. Please let us know what you think about the topics we're discussing and any other aspects of decarbonisation, sustainability, climate change that you'd be interested in hearing about. If you want to keep up to date with the latest happenings in Steel UK and in this series, our journey towards decarbonisation, please do subscribe to Steelcast through Podbean, through Spotify, Apple or wherever else you get your podcasts. See you next time.